Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome back to Changes with me, Annie McManus. Hope you're all good. Hope you enjoyed the first episode of season four featuring Steve McQueen. What a guy, so tenacious, so inspiring, so brilliant. So I have been buzzing about sharing this week's episode with you since I recorded it a week ago. It's not often that you get to speak to someone standing right on the brink of a monumental, all-encompassing change, but that's exactly where you will find Abby Smith these days. Now, if you've heard of Abby, it won't be by that name. She releases music as Yeba, which is Abby backwards, and it's under that name that she's been making huge waves in the music world, writing songs for Ed Sheeran, for Sam Smith, for Stormzy, and most recently guesting on Drake's album on a song called Yeba's Heartbreak. Yeba has been described as a once-in-a-generation voice and compared to everyone from Adele to Amy Winehouse, but those are just words, and words cannot really do justice to the unbelievable thing that happens when she opens her mouth to sing. In fact, I really need you to hear this voice for yourself, so I'm going to play you a little clip of a song called My Mind. This is from a live performance that she did in New York, and this is the performance that really broke her as a singer. But I know it's a Okay, so that is Yeba and a song called My Mind that she recorded back in 2016. There's a reason I directed you to that song in particular. It was sung just as things were really beginning to fall into place for her. But a few weeks after it was recorded, something unthinkable happened. Abby lost her mother, who died by suicide, and her entire world was changed forever. Five years later, she is now releasing her first album, produced by Mark Ronson, but it was a real slog to get to this point. That's because Abby found herself fighting with grief at every stage of making this thing. And you can hear it in the lyrics, which speak openly of her grief, and in every breath of the way she sings. In the end, she named the album after her mother, who was called Dawn. It may have taken a while to bring together, but the album is spectacular. And it's poised to make Yeba a superstar. Now, that's about as big a change as anyone can go through, entering that world of extreme fame. But it's fair to say Abby's unfazed by it. She got a good grounding from her dad, actually, who was the pastor at the church in a little town where she grew up. And you're going to hear all about that in just a minute. But first, when I spoke to her just a few days before the album was released, she was in a very kind of spiritual, peaceful place. Finally done with the record that had taken so much out of her. Finally at ease with the idea of it making its way into the world but her recent experiences in life and music have taught Abby a really crucial lesson 
It's best to take these things just one day at a time. Enter the podcast. Yeba. Today I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm ready to release this album. Friday. So, you know, one moment I'm like completely at peace about it. In the next moment, viciously defensive. When I was doing um when I was doing promo, I was a little bit like anxious, but but now this week specifically i'm having so many full circle moments where i'm just like you know finally ready to just release old things from my you know belief systems or whatever it is whatever was blocking before that i wasn't even aware of you know so i've had a, quite a few moments like that this week how are you doing I'm a little tired, but I feel really uh, just excited at the moment. A bit like you, and I feel like there's a lot of unknowns ahead, and there's something about that that's quite exhilarating, scary but exhilarating. So, yes. I don't have an album coming out though. I don't have my debut <laughs> album coming out, but I have had a few big changes in my life that I don't really know how they're going to play out yet. So, yeah. So listen, this conversation, Abby, is all about change. That's what we do on this podcast. We talk all in and around change and how it affects our lives, how we get over it, how we get through it. And we ask three pretty basic questions that help us through the conversation. I think we'll just start right at the first one about your childhood and and the biggest change that you would have gone through in childhood. I had such a solid childhood, I feel. I had great parents and they worked hard and I was kind of raised by my grandmas. I guess the biggest change I can think of is when my dad asked me to start singing in church. And I came by the church one day from like a volleyball game because I played at the girls club and they got a new sound system in the church because it was an itty bitty church. They got a new sound system and I heard my voice like on a microphone for one of the first times in that way where it was all kind of, you know, surround and it filled up the room. And after that, I mean, I was 12 that day, but after that I started singing in church pretty regularly and I kind of took on the responsibility of being one of my dad's worship leaders because he just didn't have anybody else. It was a small town, small church. So you're the worship leader. So you are, leading them in song. Please correct me if I'm wrong. So you're kind of like a a choir. Well, it was so small. There were probably only four other singers. And then, you know, there's like band members, like a bass player, drummer. My dad played organ. So talk me through how the church looked. So there was, you said it's a small church. How many people are in the church? And I'm trying to get my head around this because I've been to church, obviously, but like, I think it's a different setup than the church I'm thinking of in my head. So mm. how does it look? And where are you in that? Well, it was in a, it was in a strip mall. Do I have strip malls out there in the UK? Is that what you call them? Or like a strip club? No, no, no. It's like, like a strip mall. <laughs> we use that term for like, it's a mall, but it's not a big mall. It's a mall that's just one level and it just, it's like a strip. You know, okay, I totally I can see it. I can see it in all the movies, you know, right beside our church. There was this bowling alley. And like when it got quiet in the service, you could hear the bowling, the bowling pins crash. Yeah, the sound of the ball. (laughs) So, I mean, when I started singing, there was probably maybe 100 people in the church. All together. And then as I got older. I remember we had one service and then it split into two. 
because it started to get too big. And then and my, my dad's been, you know, my dad's such a great person and, and very like just just loves genuinely loves the word and then loves to teach and loves people. Every time he left the house during my whole childhood, during my whole life, he always says, I love everybody. Every time he leaves the church, I love everybody, you know? And uh, so it grew, but it started from like less than a hundred people, I think. So you're 12 years old. You, you sing into a mic for the first time. How do you think that changed you? Well, it was just strange to hear my voice echo off of a back wall like that. And, you know, I wasn't like trying, you know, I wasn't pushing anything. I don't really know what it made me think other than I knew that day I was like, I'm going to remember this forever. (laughs) You know, when you were little, did you ever take like snapshots in your mind almost and be like, I've never seen that before. I've never seen the way that like, I remember in second grade, we had a substitute teacher and she was wearing this big purple suit. And I don't know what it was, but like just the way that it caught light, I was like, I'm going to remember that. And I still have that image in my head, you know? And so, I mean, there's a series of, I mean, just normal (laughs) shit that I like remember that that day was one of those days, that moment, that feeling. Did people say anything to you about your voice and whether you could sing? Like, do you ever remember anyone speaking to you or reacting to how you sung when you were singing in church? Mm-hmm. My dad. And I remember telling my parents, I was like, I told them, I was like, until I'm way older, like, just don't compliment me because I don't want to be short-sighted about my life because because I'm doing something that you asked me to do. You know what I mean? I don't want to do this shit for no form or fashion. Like if this is what I'm going to do, if I'm going to lead worship, then just let me lead worship. And when, when I get home, I don't want to talk about it with all due respect. So they didn't. My dad always taught me to stay and talk to people after service, just because when I was really little, I, if somebody would walk up to me and I was by my mom, I would just turn my back to them. Like they weren't there. You right. Know, I didn't want to talk. I wasn't a talkative kid at all. And so it kind of made me stay after services to talk to people just to get some social skills. And I remember one lady saying something that was like, how are you so brave to get up there and sing in front of people? If I thought, you know, if I went up there, I would think that there was a booger in my nose or something. <laughs> and I, I just, I would just remember her saying something silly and cute like that. I don't know. Everything else I kind of can't remember because when people would when people would compliment my voice, I was like, oh, they just don't know because they they can't hear. They don't know how. As in, as in you didn't believe them? Oh, no. I had no reason to. You know, they can't sing. And I thought I can't sing either. So I'm just I'm here because my dad asked me to be here. So so I'm here and I'll do it with all my heart. But, you know, that's exciting. Thank you. Got you. Then I then I go home. <laughs> so it was kind of like so you didn't have agency over it initially, like it wasn't your choice. So it felt like more like a kind of maybe chore is too strong a word, but kind of an obligation. Sometimes it did, one hundred percent. Right. And I would I would go in and I would say, Dad, I'm on my period. I can't sing. Once I hit puberty, I started saying I can't sing. I can't sing this Sunday. I don't want to sing. I'm gonna sing. And 
you know, he let me take a break and he was like, okay, I don't know anything about that. So (laughs) you can, you know, (laughs) do whatever you need to do. But I tried to quit several times because like, as I got older, you know, I mean, I was dealing with men that were 35 and up. When you say dealing with, you meant you were leading them? Yeah. Got it. And of of course, and they were probably right, but they thought I was a know-it-all, you know, and I probably did come off like that because I was 15 and insecure and that I had, I was embarrassed that I was in charge. You know what I mean? It's like, of course, but if I tell you how to sing something 14 times and you don't get it, then yes, I'm going to be upset. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But it's funny to actually put these things into words because my dad always, the only points I can really remember is just every time I tried to quit, my dad was like, are you going to be teachable? Are you going to use this as an opportunity to learn about who you are and who you aren't? You know, I just, I would have quit certainly had my dad not been so ever expansive and letting me see that this shit really ain't even about singing. Certainly not about singing. Shit ain't even, re- ain't even really about being in charge either. It's, it's about this is the moment in time where this is what you're kind of being called to do. And so how are you going to be able to deal with it and be a team player, be a part of the moving pieces? Hmm. Looking back, that time working alongside your father, like not really being the daughter anymore, but being more of like a colleague, I guess, how do you feel about that time retrospectively looking back at that working with him? It's confusing to me. Right. It was very confusing because, you know, one moment I would be, I'm entrusted with this responsibility, but then if course a grown man had an issue with me which was my attitude or or something that was bothering anyone then they would bring it to my dad not to me and I was frustrated because I was like well look at the time I didn't think anything about the fact that I was 15 years old I just thought this is what my dad has asked me to do y'all know I'm sorry but I'm the only one that's gonna do it because I don't it's not that has nothing to do with talent all y'all work normal jobs you don't have the time to do it so it's like I was frustrated because I was like all right if I'm in charge then shouldn't you bring your complaint to me just tell me because I'm on your team we are on the team you know I took this as a job to take some weight off of my dad my dad was not only a preacher but he worked five jobs he worked at two colleges as a history teacher and he gave piano lessons and I don't know. He was teaching somewhere else too. Sometimes he'd like substitute teach or whatever. And he had a lot on his plate. And so it frustrated me because I was like, I did this to take that off of him. And then you send your complaints to him. So just learn your songs. (laughs) We don't have any problems. Um, But it was confusing. It was a confusing dynamic. You know, I'll be honest Mm -hmm. as a, as a young girl, because I, I wanted to be defended and I wanted to be protected. Sure. But I also had this job that, you know, put me out in front. So it sounds to me like inadvertently you got all the training anyone should and could have 
to navigate the music industry. <laughs> oh, I'm so I'm so thankful for that. You know, I go back yes, so much. It's it's think about it. Like it's just full of older guys telling you what to do. And you've already you, at 12, 15, you're t- you're already telling them no. <laughs> yeah. And holding your own and standing your ground. That's that's really it's like your dad kind of is a clairvoyant or something. It's like he knew. My dad is such a good dad. I mean, you know, when I was going through all those years, of course, it was tough. I was a baby, you know. I didn't know it, but I was a baby. But now I think if if anybody really hurt me, I forgot. I guess I just forgot, you know. Because I'm so thankful for those years. Because it taught me how to how to deal with people, how to kind of put me on the spot to be able to put my feelings into words when I did have to stand up for myself or, you know, not even having to stand up for myself, just articulate things and be a team player. You know, I love that. I love being able to make music with people with like, you know, everybody that's just willing to have a heart to actually like serve each other to really go to this place. I like that. I mean, talking about your entrance to singing coming not from you, but from your father and this kind of thing that he asked of you talking about faith, you know, singing again, being so tethered to the church and to religion, how are music and faith entwined? for you? My dad has always encouraged me. Hold on. (laughs) Yeah, light that cigarette. Are you making me want one now? Yes. I think because honestly, it was always about experiencing the manifest, we call it the manifest presence of God, because we believe that God is always with us and always within us. But it's the manifest presence of God that we feel in the room or that shifts things that maybe we don't feel or don't know about. Because my connection to singing was really just about that, that flowed through it. And I always saw it as an opportunity to you know, for God to literally hold my face. I feel that worship translates to everything and through everything. And just like, just like my past frustrations with that song, My Mind, that I did a live performance of, you know, years ago, when people would say it really bothered me at first. And I don't know. I think it's just something I had to grow out of, you know, go through and be like, it was a pain, you know, but um, it's frustrating. It was frustrating to see people say, Oh, listen to the pain in her voice. Pain in her voice is so beautiful. And it's like, it wasn't even pain in that moment. That was worship. I remember calling my dad before I sang that song. And he was like, well, you know what to do. Just make it worship. And everything about what I write now, what I, what I sing when I sing live, when I'm really tuned in, 
That's what, it, that's all it is. Because people don't really like my voice. They think, they may think they like, I don't know. Maybe it's not my space to say that, but it's not off of any kind of, you know, wow, I'm so emotionally intelligent and I know how to move my voice like this. No, it's because everything that I built, everything that was built into my voice has been by way, by the the way of that source that I really do feel connected to. And that's why my voice and the writing and whatever thing, it always continues to reinvent itself and it looks different all the time because it's changing and it has, you know, I'm not going to sing something the same way twice. Yeah. Cause, because I believe that there's something on the other side of that, you know, really ain't got a whole lot to do with my singing ability. When you do sing and as you say, you always sing like that. There's a kind of transcendence to it. It feels when you're watching it anyway, how does it feel for you? I feel free. It feels like everything and nothing exists in my world. (laughs) You know, like I can only tell you what I'm not because it's like, I'm not anxious. I'm not, there's no, there's no buzz going on in my head. There's no, there's no spaciness. There's no dizziness. It's just, we're right here. You know, that's why it was so strange for me to really like write songs and record them because my whole experience had been a live experience. It had been, you know, God shows up, he moves things around. You know that he's just in the room and just bursting out of the walls. And there are people there that you connect to in one way. I connected to in one way or another, you know. I mean, whether they were there or not, you know, I'm gone. (laughs) You know, we're taking off. (laughs) So you feel when you're singing and you're feeling that kind of freedom and that everythingness and nothingness, you're not alone in your head? No, I guess not. I, I don't feel alone. There's a force for sure where there's everything good. Everything is good. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, your dad was the pastor in the church, your mom was a physics teacher. Mm-hmm. How did that influence fit into your childhood? Well, every year, she would, she made up all of her science projects, like that she would have the kids. We'd learn, we'd have like, what was it? Damn, I hated science, so I can't remember anything. <laughs> well, but, like physical projects, like experiments and stuff? Yes, she would make her, she would make up her projects and like write out all of her worksheets. And 
And not a lot of teachers in Arkansas really do that. You know, everybody's just, you work out of a workbook, you know, you come to public school, you work out of a workbook and, you know, you go home and that's what you do. Fill out the sheet. You just get through the class. But my mom just loved to teach. And she, when we were learning how to like measure in metrics, you know, we'd make little metric cookies, which is really just oatmeal chocolate cookies. <sighs> and then we'd make goo just to like watch chemical reactions and, you know, we'd put things in beakers and like experiment with that and like just watch things change, you know? And then we'd make bottle rockets and we'd measure, I don't know if it was velocity that we were measuring, but it was like air pressure, we put on an air pressure machine and then it'd shoot off into the air. We'd measure how high it went and whatnot. Um, so she'd always check me out of school like every year, every time they had an exciting project, she'd let me come by. Then she would teach summer school. And so then in the summer, of course, like, you know, she would come up with something like we'd all get on a skateboard and see how fast we, you know, like rolled down what our momentum. I don't know, something like that. But that was always really fun. And then when the kids didn't want to take their science projects home, she'd like she'd just save them she had this big closet packed full of science projects and even on our christmas tree she'd bring home like the planets that they would make out of beads and wires and you know the styrofoam balls and shit like that so she put up a christmas tree every year and she'd hang all their projects on it so man i haven't really gone through that i don't think since she passed that's strange you know, thinking about her junior high room, how decorated it was. Hmm. Sounds like she had a real sense of fun, like a real sense of playfulness. Yeah. Yeah. She was hilarious. Really? She was actually really, really funny. Yeah. We always joke because my dad's not funny, but he like kind of tries to be. But... (laughs) (laughs) But... You know, I grew up in a home full of talkers because my mom is a teacher and my dad's a teacher. (laughs) So like all we did was have family meetings and learn how to put our feelings into words. (laughs) So that I think amongst a lot of other stuff, my mom was also just really smart and very independent. Hmm. Just strong. So let's talk about your adult change now. The change that you've gone through in adulthood that's the kind of most impactful, I guess. I would say, I think, uh, you know, originally I was going to say losing my mom to suicide, but I'm going to be honest for me now that I've lived more, I think something that has really changed me is finding like fasting and uh, changing my diet to plants and taking moments to I started reading this book last year when I was supposed to release my album and it was it's a called you can heal your life by Louise Hay and it's this book of you know kind of using positive affirmations to you know rework your subconscious and refeed it you know positive things instead of 
just like a robot, you know, telling myself the same however many things over and over again because it felt comfortable in this box of grief for a while. Because I remember going through it and feeling all these things. And for a while, I still felt like there was some life in me, you know, a lot of rage and a lot of sadness and a lot of fear and a lot of, and then there was a while, there was a moment where it just cut off and I felt like, all right, I've turned the lights off here. So you weren't feeling anything at all? Yeah. Didn't really cry as much. And I'm a crier. I cry quite a bit. Mm. Mm. I wasn't crying. I would, I went like a couple months without crying or something. And I don't know. Mm. I just, I was just like, uh, just, I feel dead. Yeah. You know? And, and so I said, all right. I remember being in my apartment just drunk by myself one night and sitting there and being like, all right, now this is getting to the point where I'm just waterboarding myself. I'm doing this shit to myself. So I'm going to have to figure something, something's going to have to change and and move around. I'm going to have to reorder some kind of thought here that, that I just have been in denial of because it's time to pick my bed up Mm. and walk. You know, that's a big decision. Yeah. Well, thank God I was drunk when I made it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And so slowly I just started to be a tiny, tiny, tiny bit healthier. As I went through that year, I was in heavy isolation in like 2019. Didn't talk to anybody, you know? So this was pre COVID. This is you in grief in New York. Yeah. Yes. By the time COVID came around and everybody was like, oh, I'm, I feel so isolated in this house and I'm so depressed. I'm like, welcome to my life, buddy. I've been here for about, <laughs> past, I don't know, three years. Been waiting on y'all, you know, <laughs> greetings. But I, uh, yeah, I just started to slowly drink more water. I think that was one. That was step one for me. And then eat more food when I did drink which temporarily caused me to gain more weight, which was upsetting, but it was all necessary because I started going to the gym a little bit. And then I really started to look into fasting. I don't know know when it came up or what, what it was. And I started kind of trying to intermittent fast. It was really tough for like a year and a half. And it just almost never worked out. And then instead of releasing my album in 2020, you know, I just, I went home and just rested and got myself together and figured out how to kind of find some places to go to, to, to help myself, you know? And because mm-hmm. I had done all of the therapy, I had done two years of therapy. I had done two years of antidepressants, two or three actually. And, you know, I was just like, I'm done I'm over life. And so during the, during the pandemic, I don't know what made me do this because it seems so childish and it, it feels childish to tell this, but I would wake up every morning that I'd wake up. I would, I would sing that Hercules song to myself. <laughs> I will find my way. I can go the distance. 
Abby. Yeah, I'll be there someday. If I can be strong, I'll know every mile will be worth my while. Woo! That song for me, <laughs> like, that's got the Holy Ghost on it or something like that, you know? I would sing that every single morning when I woke up. This is after like the three years and over this last year, I just started singing it. Losing my mom and going through that grief made me hate my voice. You know, I think I kind of already did hate parts of it, but losing her just made it feel completely what there's no point to this. And, and maybe there isn't, but I think something, some kind of little, you know, flicker turned back on. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to have to heal myself with my voice, you know? So then after practicing that every morning, I would start to say positive things. Be like, well, you know, Abby, at least you're trying. You're trying it. You know, you didn't lay in bed for 12 hours today and smoke cigarettes. So that's good. You know, you got up, you walked outside for 30 minutes. Oh, my God. You know, look how far you've come. I would, I would stand in the mirror and I'd look at myself and say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of who you are. And I accept you right where you are. Right here. You know? So, even when I would come in drunk, I would say that. And I look back on, now that I'm ready to like, really send this the music off with blessing, I just look back at like, those older versions of myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. and say oh my god like the strength was there and I just did not see it you know yeah didn't want to and maybe it was none of my business to see it you know so all of those versions of yourself and all of the feelings that you went through and those extremities of emotion the anger the rage the sadness and all of the other stuff that goes into profound grief like that, they all went into the album, did they? Unfortunately, yeah. So how how was the act of doing that? Like, did you, did you, were you conscious of what you were doing at the time in the way that now you're looking back and you can see clearer who you were and what was going on? Were you conscious at the time of how you were processing things and, and what was happening in you singing these words and, and putting these songs together? I was, it wasn't ever anything that was in the front of my mind, like, oh, I'm going to channel all the rage from my mother's suicide into this. Sure. You know? Of course not. Cause it was, you know, those emotions like hide themselves mm. when they're really unspeakable like that. You just can't put them into words. It's just never, never enough. You know? But I do remember thinking this. I'm like, fuck, you know, I don't want to write these songs. I not write these songs because I think they're fine, you know, as poems and it's great. But I, I mean, like, I don't want to install fear because fear was a number one emotion. You know, was, fear okay. was yeah, on top of yeah. everything else. It was the ang- horrible anxiety. And I was like, I really don't want to install you know, more 
fear into music because people already do that anyway. And it's like, I think about people like specifically Stevie Wonder. It's like, there's hope running through all those songs. There's hope, there's love. And it's- mm, There's anger. There's a lot of anger with him. Yeah, that's true. But it's productive anger and it's not just dead bitterness. You know what I yes, mean? But, yes, but he didn't go through a life event like you did. You know what I mean? You don't know what would, what he would have sung about if that had happened to him. You can tell, whatever it is, you can tell that it's circulating. You know, my shit felt very like the doors had been closed for a while and there's mm. old air in here. Something's mm. rotting. <laughs> you know? And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to open the door and the window and make a ventilation waft yeah. come through. In yeah. Way. And, you know, I just didn't want to install, I didn't want to install, install death into, into these songs. I wanted it to be life and life giving, life bringing, because that's everything that I had thought I know, knew before. I mean, as someone who's been listening to the album nonstop, I can tell you that it is all of those things, honestly. And maybe you see it from your perspective in that way, but as a listener, it is just, it's all of those things. It's so profoundly beautiful. It's so moving. It's so joyous at times. The way your voice soars. Honestly, Abby, it is all of those things. Thank you. I promise. Yeah. I mean, I can only, it's subjective, right? That's the beauty of it all is that everyone will find their own meaning and their own emotions from it. But I found those things for sure. Thank you. Um, you called it Dawn, your mama's name, and she's in it. I think it's her anyway. I assumed it was. Little snippets, some beautiful moments yeah, of her yeah. talking to you. Um, At the end, yeah. Is there a feeling of, I know, because I've written a book, that when you write it and it goes out there, it's gone. It kind of doesn't really belong to you anymore. How do you feel about it leaving you and going into the world? Oh, I'm like, please take that shit off out of my hands. Yeah. Just take it. Just, you can have it, you know. The exciting part is thinking about, you know, if people live their lives to the tune of it that's exciting to know that there might be somebody on the other side that's just i don't know fucking cooking I mean, it's simple feels like i've already made peace with all the songs the recordings and i feel like you know at midnight that night it's just gonna be like whoosh <sighs> okay well that was that all right so <laughs> so what's next what are we going to have for breakfast tomorrow? Mark, Mark guess, let's get Mark? back in the studio. <laughs> it's time to write a hopeful song. Let's go. Right. <laughs> Mark, get us back here. We got to start on number two. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to feel like more relief. I think I'm in a season of relief for myself now, mm. which I'm so relieved and like, to experience, to be able to say, honestly, just shit has just fallen off of me these past few months, these weeks. What's fallen off of you? What do you mean by that in the last few weeks? Just old, old panic, old beliefs, old habits of waking up. Like 
I, I would wake up like an angry old man and just talk to myself for an hour or so and just rant about, oh, the industry, this industry, that. Knowing that nobody hurt me. Nobody had, nobody had a chance to hurt, really hurt me. You know, just liked being angry. And now, and I, I, I say now, I say thank you to that time. Thank you to those, all those ridiculous conversations that I needed to have with myself because I needed that to protect me. And now I just don't need it anymore. Thank you for that time. I was, this might be too personal, but I was in, in the bathtub the other day and I just held my, my gut and I was like, thank you so much for insulating me and protecting me and holding all of the things that I didn't know how to say, I didn't know how to put into words for the majority of my life. Thank you. And I'm truly glad that you've been here. I'm way, at way more peace. You know, I actually have just redefined, there's a redefining of what vulnerability is going on in my life. I think I used to think attachment was connection. And I, I guess, and realizing that it's it's not the same thing. <laughs> so yeah, all kinds of things just falling off my back. It sounds like you've been at war with yourself and there's no winning or losing, but the war is over. <laughs> yeah. Well for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like at least we can go home and rest if they're, you know, drink some water before another battle here. But like, yeah. you know, I think, yeah, it does. It feels like peace. Do you still sing Hercules in the mornings? Sometimes I did this week. From someone who's been listening to your album. Thank you. Um, I think it's the most beautiful gift to the world, honestly. And oh, um, I hope you feel everything you want to feel upon its release. Thank you. Huge thank you to Abby for just letting us into her world and sharing so much of her real and raw thoughts. I'm so grateful to her for her time. And as I said in the conversation, I'm so grateful to her for the gift of the album. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I presume, I hope you'll want to listen to it after hearing her. Uh, but do make some time for it. I really don't think you'll regret it. If there's someone in your life that you think would like to hear this conversation with Yeba, please do pass it on. And also, if you are affected by the themes of this conversation, if you know someone who has died by suicide, if you have had suicidal thoughts, all of those things, there is people that you can talk to. Refer to the show notes and we have put in some numbers you can call that can be of help to you. Now, you can find me on Instagram, Annie McManus, and let me know what you thought of this conversation on there. Always so, so eager to hear your thoughts. And last week, after I spoke to Steve McQueen, there was a huge reaction from you lot. Lego JD said this was an amazing podcast. I could listen to Steve all day. Liz Pemberton said, if you listen to anything today, listen to this. Next week, we're taking you deep into the story of a man who has lived so many different lives and handled each radical transition with unbelievable grace. Hassan Akkad was born and raised in Damascus in Syria. 
he had to flee under duress from the government forces. He eventually entered the UK as a refugee, and that's really only the beginning of his story. He's a filmmaker, an activist, a healthcare worker, and now an author. And he has been shining a light on some of the places that we instinctively look away from and doing it all at a great personal expense. As refugees and immigration are so, so prevalent in our news feeds, I think there's never been a better time to speak to someone who's been through every aspect of those journeys that those desperate people are making on dinghies across the water. And Hassan is so insightful. His story is so compelling. So yeah, I really hope that you will enjoy this conversation with a truly inspirational man next week. All right, Changes is produced by Frank Palmer and I'm going to see you next week. Till then, take care. 